Christmas season, we're starting into a series on uh, Jesus, the light of the world. And I, I want to uh, pique your thinking a little bit with uh, the full spectrum of light uh, that Jesus is for us. He's not just uh, uh, a little, uh, like a little bitty flashlight. Uh, he is the full spectrum. As you know, the visible light spectrum is a very beautiful thing. Uh, we see it in rainbows. Uh, maybe you see it uh, as it's uh, broken up. The light is dispersed as it goes through a prism or something. We have in our home, in the west uh, window of our home there in Oregon City, uh, uh, several little crystalline things. And when the sun hits those just right, it just shoots those beautiful things all over the room. And uh, I just enjoy, I delight in the various colors. I think the ability to see color is one of the great blessings that God has invested in us, his creatures. It's interesting that as uh, John, the apostle, introduces Jesus there in First uh, John or in John chapter one, you'll begin to you'll be able to see how John captures this metaphor of light. Uh, follow along there. Uh, we'll get the slide up. Uh, Allie, are the slides uh, working? There we go. Hey, all right, very good. My signal from here to there is uh, discombobulated. That's a technical term for it doesn't work. Um, <clears throat> but Ali's on, on duty back there. And uh, in his opening of the gospel explaining Jesus, uh, John picked a very interesting uh, way to describe Jesus. Uh, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, he's drawing from a very rich uh, history in classical Greek uh, on this term word, uh, the word logos. What is it? Uh, The philosopher Zeno uh, began to work on this and, and ask, what is it that is the essence of something? For instance... Uh, what it makes a chair a chair? What has to be there for it to be a chair? What makes chairness? Or he would use the illustration of a river. As, as you look at a river, you know, hey, that's a river. It's not a little creek, it's a river. What is it that makes a river, river? And he worked on this, he with uh, his colleagues and the other philosophers, and they finally came up with the, the concept that word captures the essence of what is there. So the word river captures the essence. Now there will be other features, but when uh, John was looking for some way to describe the core reality of all existence. He chose this word and he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What he's letting us know is that the core of all existence is a triune Lord God. He is the ultimate, ultimate reality. He is the source of all reality. 
Well, John goes on and says, uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. One version says the darkness can never extinguish it. He who is the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then down in verse 14, we have that wonderful truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word glory is a light kind of a word. You remember in the Old Testament when the presence of God was with the people of Israel as they were in the, on the journey uh, in the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land? He would give them light at night. We talk about the presence of the Lord as the glory of the Lord would descend upon the tabernacle. There's something resplendently beautiful about God. And it's revealed in this concept of light. Now, Jesus also said something very interesting about himself in John 8, 12. Uh, He described himself as light. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, that's a pretty audacious claim, isn't it? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see how Jesus links light and life? Eternal life is connected to the light of the world. And Jesus says, if we learn to follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but we will have this light that is real and good, the best kind of life. Now, both Jesus and John recognized that uh, Jesus was the one spoken of uh, back in the prophet Isaiah. And I believe that's why they took this metaphor. Not only was John building his gospel account uh, in a fashion similar to the book of Genesis in the beginning, but they were also seriously looking at the prophets that had gone before. And as they look back, they see here the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, uh, This is a a very powerful passage. In the context, uh, Jerusalem, uh, the remaining part of uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, Jerusalem is under siege. And Ahaz, the king, is kind of a wimpy sort of a guy. He just goes along with whatever is happening and he's blown by idolatry and all kinds of evil influences. And so he was in a, in a, a real uh, trouble spot because the king of Assyria, or I'm sorry, the king of Syria and the king of the northern part of called Israel, those two guys had connected. And they said, let's go to Jerusalem. We'll set siege to it. And we're going to sack the city and haul off all the loot. Well, they were uh, in this precarious pickle. And so Ahaz asked Isaiah, the prophet, 
And Isaiah said, well, all you need to do is ask the Lord to give you a sign. And Ahaz, being a real pious uh, sort of character, he said, oh, well, far be it from me to ask the Lord for a sign. You ever notice how stuffy and put-offish we can get whenever we are simply advised to ask God? Why ask God? You know, maybe he's busy off in Tuscaloosa today. No, when we are encouraged to ask God, it's because God is ready to answer. God is ready to meet our needs. And so Isaiah, in chapter 7 of Isaiah, says, okay, if you want to ask for a sign, the Lord himself will give you one. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And you all know what that means, right? What is it? God with us. Why did he want to remind Ahaz that God was with them? Precisely because Ahaz was trying to live as if God didn't exist. And we need this reminder. He is Emmanuel. He is always Emmanuel. He is always God with us. Well, the uh, scene gets worse and worse. By chapter 9, things are looking really grim. And so... The Lord gives Isaiah a prophecy of better things to come. And that's what we read here in the second verse of of chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And he goes on and describes how the nation is going to be prospering again. They're going to have harvest and rejoicing again. And then in, cha- in verse 6, he comes to this profound statement. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You could almost hear people saying, Yeah, that's what we need. Indeed. We need a wonderful counselor. We need a mighty God who is always with us. The everlasting father who cares for us. The prince of peace. In a world where uh, if we're not directly at war, we have conflicts always popping up with people. Just uh, in the most uh, uh, inopportune times. With the people that you would least suspect. We live in a world that needs peace. Well, Jesus is the one who comes to give light. Uh, He has an amazing way of shedding light on the things that we most need. Now, in your note taker there, you'll have a a little section on uh, the big questions. But uh, where do you go when you need answers to these uh, big questions? Uh, A lot of people go to best friend. They go to, uh, some will go to a professional counselor, give them money. Uh, Some people just uh, check the horoscope in the newspaper. Where do you go for advice? Where do you go for help when you really need it? Jesus has the answers. And so as you take a look at these uh, big Big questions here. Jesus has the best advice. What are these questions anyway? Well, we ask ourselves, what is real? 
What is, uh, what is good? Ellie, do those things uh, pop up there? There we go. I jumped ahead. That's okay. You're doing great. Go to one more. There we are. Uh, what are these big questions? Well, believe it or not, people all over the world have these questions nagging them all the time. You do. Uh, maybe you haven't ever sat down and tried to put them on paper. These are not original with me, but I can tell you that broad research worldwide says these are questions that have to do with being a human being. What is real? What is real? Um, I remember hearing a young lady tell a story about when she was a little girl, she would look in the mirror and she began to think, hmm, now, is that me or is this me? Which one is, which one is real? Uh, people are always wondering about what is reality. One of the uh, uh, European philosophers in the, in the 1800s came up with the idea that reality is what you imagine it to be. But then he ran into a problem because he was contemplating a butterfly and he said, now wait a minute. Is that butterfly a figment of my imagination or am I a figment of its imagination? Do you see it can be a real puzzle if we don't know what is reality? What is the good life? We're all looking for a good life, for a way to make life work out for us. What is a good life? Does it just mean having all the comforts, never having to worry about paying any bills, never your car never breaks down, your kids are always perfect. What is the good life anyway? Everybody is looking for something that they think will just be right, the good life. Well, who is a good person? How could I become a good person? And so people have uh, popular idols that they worship. Some guy's a great singer or a girl that's a big hit on a movie or something like that. And so people say, well, maybe I'll try to be like that person. Maybe they're a good person. Well, how can I become a good person? Well, Jesus gives us counsel on every one of these. He's a wonderful counselor. And on the, the night before he went to the cross, he was meeting with his disciples there in the upper room and we're going to commemorate that occasion here in a moment, in a little bit. It'll be more than a moment. It'll be a few minutes. But uh, he explained to them uh, who he really is. Uh, how did Jesus describe himself? What did he say to them? Well, Thomas uh, interrupted Jesus. Jesus was saying, look, you don't need to be worried. Uh, don't be troubled. Um, in my father's house, there are all kinds of dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would tell you, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And good old Thomas, uh, I like Thomas myself. Some people kind of kick him around because he was a doubter and all of that. No, I think Thomas was, uh, the reason I like Thomas is because he just wanted to know. He didn't want to take just any word for it. So he says, oh, now, wait a minute, Jesus. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
You know, isn't that a logical question? What would you do if you jumped in the car and, and uh, dad says, let's go. Well, where are we going? I don't know, but we're going to go fast. <laughs> well, Jesus was being very clear. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus was being very clear. And remember, he was trying to clarify and leave these men with the most important truth before he went to the cross. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, as we go on through here in your note taker, you'll see that uh, Jesus is the way. And Jesus shines his way on, shines his light on the way to the Father. If you want to get to God the Father, you have to come to Jesus. You have to learn from him. But what I like about Jesus is he, he lights up a way of relationship with God the Father that's very real, it's very personal. It's not some off in the sky, uh, you know, pie in the sky, by and by kind of a thing. This is a relationship that's very real and personal. It comes right down to the ground, right where we live every day. God Almighty wants to be in a relationship with you. This is about a relationship that involves salvation, yes. We have to be forgiven for our sins, and Jesus is really good at taking care of that. But we need to learn how to live this new life with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is the one that will show us how. Jesus shines the way, uh, shines his light on the way to cultivate uh, personal relationships with others that are characterized by his kind of love. You know, that's another big problem in the world is people just need help learning how to get along. I can remember when our two boys were little, uh, I began to think of my main job as just civilizing these two characters, much less trying to get them to get along, just get them civilized so they're not hurting other people, much less one another. We all need help learning how to relate to other people. We long for relationship. God has created us to be relational creatures. Uh, Sociologists have uh, highlighted Uh, the deadliness of spending so much time on social media. Uh, Not only can you get sore thumbs from doing all of that, but you begin to get an ache in your heart for relationship that can only be met by real interaction with a real other person. Now, that's not to say that these things are not useful. The people who have watched our culture are raising the flag on this. Some of the, the top inventors of this down in Silicon Valley, would you believe they don't let their kids have a cell phone? That's kind of spooky. They want me to buy one, but they won't let their kids have one. Why? Because they are seeing we are relational beings, and unless we have personal relationships, we are not a well person. God calls us into relationships Uh, They're characterized by love. Here's what Jesus said about his kind of love. He says to his disciples that night again, here's a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, Jesus is raising the bar here. The the great commandment said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you want to know what that looks like, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus is saying, no, you who belong to me, you love one another as I have loved you. You know, that's a pretty high bar. I need to learn from Jesus how to love other people. In fact, there are situations where I've been having a hard time getting along with somebody. I know you find that hard to think that true of me, but especially Kyle, since he knows me a little bit. Um, no, when I'm having a hard time getting along with somebody, I, I just go to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I need your kind of love because my kind of love doesn't cut it here. I need your kind of love. Boy, it's wonderful what he does. He will actually give it to us. If we ask him, he will show us the way to love other people as he has uh, called us to love. Then Jesus shines his light on the way things work in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a fun one for me because I love the reality of the kingdom of heaven is here. It's not all here yet, but it's here. We can live in the rule of God, where God's in charge. God's handling everything. And Jesus came actually to tell people, hey, this is available. He says, repent, change the way you think about the way things are. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How close is your hand anyway? Well, it's really close. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. The kingdom of heaven is available. He is the way in. He shows us how to live there. He tells us the way things work in the kingdom of heaven because it's a very different way than we've been trained in things outside of the kingdom of God. So he gives us, uh, here. let me just give you a few here. He He says the most important thing is to seek his rule first. We sing this song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, What does that mean? That means make it the number one priority in your life to be on the alert for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is available and it's actually noticeable in a lot more places than we think. So we need to make it our goal, make it the first thing in our life to seek his rule in our life. Then he tells a little bit later there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, about the importance of asking. He says, which of you, if your child comes and asks for a loaf of bread, you're going to give them a rock? If they ask for a fish, you're going to give them a snake? No. Why not? Because even though you are evil people by nature, you give good things to your children. How much more will your heavenly father, who is entirely good, give good things to those who ask him? It's in that context, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. ASK. One of the main things the way 
the, one of the main ways things work in the kingdom of heaven is you just ask. That's all you need to do. Just ask God, and he will show you. Um, forgive. That's another bizarre thing that we don't naturally know how to do on our own. But in the light of Jesus, looking at him, paying attention to his teaching, we begin to see how serious forgiveness really is, even if the other person doesn't deserve it, even if they don't earn it, even if they don't ask for it. I can have a forgiving heart toward them by God's grace working in me. God tells us in his word, Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, I don't know about you, but I am really glad that God forgives me. Aren't you? On what basis does he forgive? He forgives because of all that Jesus Christ has done and is doing. And so who do I think I am if I say, well, I want God to forgive me, but I don't want God to forgive that person, and so I'm not going to forgive him because he surely wouldn't forgive him if he only knew what I know about him. You begin to see how silly that is. We begin to play God as if we know better than God whether this person needs forgiveness or not. And so Jesus says, uh, learn from me how to be forgiving. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. He shines his light on uh, true freedom, what it really is. Uh, a lot of people mistake the clutches of things in this life and think that they're really free. Jesus had this uh, amazing encounter here in John chapter 8 with some people, and he was explaining to them uh, what it's really like to be free. He said, if you let my words abide in you, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they said, aha, we got you there, Jesus. Uh, From Abraham on down, we've never been enslaved to anybody. (laughs) Do you suppose Jesus wanted to laugh at them? I mean, hey, Hebrew history, how many times were they enslaved? The book of Isaiah that we've just looked at, that's right before they go into the captivity in Babylon. They were currently under the oppressive enslavement to Rome. What do you mean? We've never been enslaved to anybody. I'm sure Jesus had a little chuckle at that. If he didn't, uh, he missed a good chance. Jesus said to them, go, to, go on to the next one there, if you would, Allie. Uh, they said, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How do you say you can become free? Look at what Jesus says in this next verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Now, that's pretty serious. But hey, I'm an American. I'm free. If sin controls me, then I'm a slave, according to Jesus, and he knows what he's talking about. So he says, if you're a slave of sin, you need to be set free. Now, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son 
remains forever. And so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I don't know, maybe you're struggling with some kind of a sin issue. I I don't know what it is. Uh, I struggle with unbelief all the time. Uh, But God helps me with that. The Son can set us free if we just go to him and ask him to work his gracious power in our life, uh, give us his way to escape the sin. Uh, Even uh, God says in his word that there's no temptation which has taken you, but such as is common to everybody. But God is faithful, and he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape so that you can bear the temptation. Now, I used to look around for, well, what's the way of escape? You know, do I call my buddy? How do I get out of here? I'm tempted. Do I run? What do I do? Jesus said, there's a way of escape, and it's Jesus. If you go to Jesus in a time of temptation, whether it's a time to, whether you're tempted to grumble or gripe or whatever it is, I don't know what, what bothers you. I just know what bothers me. When you're tempted, take it to Jesus. Sometimes my mind will start off down a trail that is just disgusting. And I just, if you followed me around, you would think I was weird because I just talk out loud. I just say, Jesus, I don't even want to go there. I know that's not your way. I want to follow you. And you know what? He refocuses my mind. You ought to try it sometime. That's really wonderful. Jesus is the way to freedom and life. Jesus shines uh, forth the with God kind of a life. And he shines uh, the kind of a life that uh, tells us we can trust him. Have you ever thought about believing in Jesus How many of you believe in Jesus? How many of you believe Jesus? Okay, so if Jesus said something, that's a straight scoop. Incidentally, he's the smartest man that ever lived. And I'm grateful that I've been taught that because if I don't believe that, I'm going to think somebody else is. That's our nature. Jesus knows what he's talking about. So believe Jesus. But then, do you believe what Jesus believes? Do you see how this drills in a little bit more on this subject of belief? We can believe in Jesus like we believe in Abraham Lincoln. We know he's real and all of that. But when we come to believe Jesus and believe what he believed, that's a whole different way of life. And we learn to believe his word just like Jesus believed the scriptures. Jesus quoted the scriptures over and over, as you know. So the night before he went to the cross, he said, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, Jesus uh, sheds light um, on the life of his followers. Um, In 8.12, John 8.12, he said, uh, go, go on to the next one there, uh, Ellie. 
In John 8, 12, uh, Jesus said again, we've looked at this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so as we follow Jesus, we began to walk in the light as he is in the light. We begin to experience his kind of life, the with God kind of life, where it's ongoing personal interaction with the God of creation, where we can freely speak to him. And we actually learn how to listen to him in his word and in prayer, sometimes in the counsel of a good friend, a Christian friend, maybe in the life of the church. God is always ready to to speak to us. Jesus gives light and he makes us the bearers of light. I love this thing in uh, Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so he says, light your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Remember when Pastor Chris was talking there from that great passage in Ephesians? We love that. By grace you were saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, so nobody can brag about their own good deeds. But the verse doesn't end there. It goes right on, and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So when we're walking with Christ, living in the reality that God is in charge, we can expect to find good things to do because God is preparing them for us. And we will spot them. We will know the right thing to do. And there's nothing quite like doing good for God's glory that gives joy to the human heart. So who's got the best advice? Well, Jesus does. On those big questions, uh, you can trust him for what's real. After all, he made everything. He keeps everything together. He knows how everything in the universe works. So trust Jesus. What's the good life? Well, I believe it's the eternal, right now, eternal kind of life with God. That's the good life. He cares for us. He provides for us. Jesus just said, hey, you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear or anything. Just seek my kingdom first and all these things will be added unto you. Who is a good person? Well, that's a person who learns to follow Jesus and become like him, to learn from him, to, uh, to take his yoke upon us and learn from him because he's ready, willing, and entirely able to teach us. How can I become a good person? Well, follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work is to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to uh, what about this wonderful counselor? Well, our wonderful counselor is the Lord Jesus, but um, he took off, you know, He's not here. You can't buy a ticket to Jerusalem to go visit him. He's not here. So where do we get this good counsel from Jesus? Well, he gave us another counselor. And when Jesus said to his followers, I'm going to send another counselor, 
who will be with you. He meant another of the exactly the same kind. And so as you look and study and follow Jesus, that's because you're learning from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is our counselor. Uh, Jesus uh, says that uh, he's going to be another counselor just like he is, just like Jesus is. Another thing that Jesus said that kind of makes me really go, wait a minute, wait a minute, when he says that it's to our advantage that he goes away and sends this other comforter. To our advantage? I don't know, I'd kind of like to sit down and just talk with Jesus, wouldn't you? Well, we can do that in prayer with the Holy Spirit. And it's a great advantage because we don't have to buy tickets to Jerusalem, don't have to stand in a long line, don't have to get an appointment with him. Uh, We can just interact with him wherever we are, wherever's going on. And no wonder he says, this is a great blessing. It's to your advantage that I go away. And the Holy Spirit then uh, becomes our blessed guide. Uh, He works in perfect sync with Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us in the way of Jesus, guides us in uh, the truth, uh, guides us into the life of Jesus. And so I want to challenge you to think full circle here. Uh, Jesus and John were looking at this prophecy in Isaiah that the great light comes He's going to be called a wonderful counselor. Jesus comes, says, I am the light of the world. And he gives the best counsel. It's astounding. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. Now back in Isaiah 9-6, I want to tweak your thinking here. When Jesus is called wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, do you know who you begin to see there? You see our Trinitarian God. When I found out that uh, I was going to be working with you all here at Trinity, I have to admit I got really excited because uh, since about 1998, uh, I've just become a serious Trinitarian. The Trinitarian reality of God is wonderful, it's resplendent. And you don't see the full spectrum of the light of life until you see the beautiful interaction of the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But the first to reveal himself is God the Son. Now, if I was going to ask Jesus for something, wouldn't it be neat to be able to ask him just, across the dinner table at a meal. We're going to have the Lord's Supper here. And I want you to think a little bit about the setting. They were celebrating the Passover. Jesus was in constant dialogue with his disciples and probably having to do a little smackdown every now and then as they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest and, and so forth. And uh, he humbly washes their feet at the supper. 
a wonderful, very personal, close relational interaction. Wouldn't that be just a great time to ask him a question that you have? During the observance of the Lord's Supper, um, I just want to lay that question out there for you. If Jesus were to say, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask for? He's good for it. We read in the gospel accounts how that night, as they were at what we call the Last Supper, the Lord uh, took bread and he broke it and gave it to them and said, now this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Now a nifty, uh, excuse me for even using that word, this is very reverent, an extraordinary part of the Passover meal was this part of the meal was where the one at the table would take a piece of bread, a piece of unleavened bread that had been hidden away. They would keep it in a little napkin, hidden away. And Jesus took that out and he said, now this is my body. And they all would have been going, hmm, explain that to us. Well, the body that was hidden away is the body that rose again. And Jesus is beginning to teach them his final hours, some of the profound truth of who he is. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we need to understand this is more than just about bread and wine. This is something about our relationship with Jesus, the living God. Then when he took the cup and he said, this cup, is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He was using the cup that was in kind of the dessert section of the meal. And it was a cup that they knew full well. This one, this, this one was called the cup of redemption. And Jesus said, this cup is my blood. And all of a sudden, these things are starting to make sense to these guys. A ritual they had celebrated for millennia now is beginning to come home to them. And they're seeing it all focused in Jesus, their good friend, right there in front of them. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, I, I want you to realize he is inviting us to come and enjoy his presence. He invites us to come and partake of these symbols that remind us of him and all he has done for us, that remind us that he died on the cross, but that he's coming again. And meanwhile, we live in between, and we need this. We need the Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the elements are are prepared here. We've got them uh, to various corners. Uh, If you want to just get up and... Uh, help yourself. Uh, Please uh, keep the bread and the cup as you return to your seats and we'll all partake of it together. Then uh, Tim is going to be circulating. If any of you would uh, like to just remain seated, he can bring that to you.
okay? Father, as we come to this special meal, uh, we offer thanks to you, our wonderful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you uh, took upon yourself a very real human body, a very real human nature, just like we are, yet without sin. We thank you that in your body you bore all of our sins on that cross. You have taken them away. We thank you that you rose again from the grave to live your life in us. And so as we partake of these elements that even give us life, we want to be reminded that you are the ultimate giver of life. Thank you for your blood that was shed for the full satisfactory payment for all of our sins. Thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.